When you watch a really funny comedian like Richie Byrne, it just seems like he was born to be there doing stand-up. It's me, and I just have to ask Richie, when did you first realize you were funny? That's how? Fifth grade? Yeah, I was always clowning around, and my teacher, Mrs. Carney, I remember her saying, she took me aside one day and she said, said she loved it, but it had to stop. And she said, you know, you need, there's an outlet for this and this isn't it. Stop. She said, you know, you can't make a living at this, so you better buckle down and start. And I never thought to, it's not like that day I went, I'm going to be a comedian. Wow. Most comics I meet yeah. always wanted, that they knew. Really? Like almost every comic you'll talk to will go, no, I knew when I was six. I knew when I wanted to. That wasn't me at all. I had no interest in being a comic. You were just funny. I was funny as a kid and then in high school. And then I got into theater. Yeah. And um, I always ended up playing the comedy roles in theater. And I went to college for theater. And in college, a lot of my professors were pushing, saying, you should start. You should try and do stand-up. You should try and do stand-up. Isn't that nice? But I still thought, I can't write. I don't know how to write. I got out of college, started doing a lot of... uh, uh, summer stock and uh, regional theater and things like that. And even there, people like, you should do stand-up. And, and somebody said to me, you know, it would open other doors as an actor. And in my mind, I thought, I'll do this for a year. I'll meet an agent and I'll get the hell out of this because wow. I don't want to do this. And that was 30 years ago. And uh, so I'm if, still doing So if it. you couldn't write, how, how did, when did that turn around? Like, what, you how did to. you develop your, your act? I just started, people would go, tell the story. Because I go, I can't do comedy. They're like, just tell the story you just told me. Just go up and tell that story. And you, and you went, ah. And I just sat down and went, oh, you know, I could say this. I could say that. Yeah. And you just start going open mics. And the funny thing is, is as an actor, most of what you do is for no money. But as a comic, you go in the city. You, you hit in different places. And then you meet somebody who's more established. And they go, hey, uh, you want to open for me Saturday night in Teaneck? And it's $50, and, and you drive. And you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, and suddenly you're making money. Wow. And that was, like, That's ridiculous to me. Yeah. <laughs> and it was funny how it was not as important starting out to be funny. It was more important to have a car. I had a booker call me probably 1990, and he said, are you funny? And he goes, I don't really care. Do you drive? <laughs> and I went, yeah. He goes, you have a car. He said, yeah. He goes, oh, you got to pick the headliner up. He's at the improv. You pick him up, drive him to the gig, you do 10 minutes up front, I'll give you $100, drive him back to the city, and you go home. Wow. That was more important than anything. So you're like stand-up slash driver? Yeah, right. you were like Uber stand-up. <laughs> yeah. It really was the most, like when young comics go, what do I need to do? I go, get a car. <laughs> get a car. They don't care if you're funny. So at what point did you abandon the idea? Well, you haven't quite abandoned of acting, the idea of I ne- You know, there was a long time where I used to tell people I'm an actor who does comedy. And one day a buddy of mine goes, you know, dude, you're a comic who acts. And I was like, oh, man, you're right. Like, it just took a long time for me to know. I mean, at least 10 years where yeah. I was still saying, you know, I'm, I do comedy, but I'm really an actor. And so, like, somebody pointed out, that, no, you're not. You're a comic who can act. There's a difference. So it was a long time. And it really gets into your, your psyche when you start doing comedy more than more than acting, I think. I think because you can't do it, you can act in a class, you can act in a workshop, you can only do comedy in front of an audience. 
you know, if you if you're if you're an artist and you make a painting and you go, that's ugly. I'm never going to show that to anybody. That's fine. If you write a song, eh, I don't really like that song. You don't know if a joke's funny until you get it in front of an audience, and that's really a unique art form. Is that still true though? You don't Absolutely. know if a joke is funny. Absolutely. You don't Absolutely. have at this point like a gun it instinct. It seems, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you also amuse yourself, right? Because mm -hmm. I think that that's really helpful if, when yeah. you're, you know, if you're saying something. And, and yet, some of the most miserable human beings on the planet are <laughs> comics. Well, see, that's another thing that I always find really interesting. Like, like, where miserable. do you think that separation is? Like, you always hear Steve Martin is like, you know, like not interested in talking to people, yeah. not a real funny guy. Like, he's really funny on stage, but. You know, or a lot of people like it. It comes from being really depressed. I think I don't. They're just miserable. God, you, you'll see a guy, and, and I mean, like a, a well-known comic. You're like, ah, oh, I gotta talk to him now. God damn. <laughs> you know? Oh man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, and you may be with a friend who we call them civilians. Like, was not a comic. Like, <laughs> I can't believe he's here. And you're like, I don't want to see him. Oh man. That's the other thing. When you go to a club in the city. Say you go on a Tuesday night to the, the Comedy Cellar or, or Caroline's or something, and say like a buddy goes, hey, I'll go with you. You have to tell that friend, listen, there's a good chance Jerry Seinfeld's gonna walk through the door. If he does, don't embarrass me. <laughs> don't embarrass me. You can't go over to him. You can't tell him you're his biggest fan. There'll be none of that. And you always get, it's like the speech you have to give. Like, cause oh you realize God. like, you know, it's the, you, you, when, when somebody big walks in a door and you're there, you yeah. just can't act that way. They just you know? got to be like, hey. I mean, you know, you know, I'm sure you know from the radio days, you, you can't, you, you can't make these people think like that you don't belong. And if you, well, have, yeah. you know, yeah. if you have some friend right. who's going, oh, I can't yeah. believe, you know what episode I love the most? <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> you're killing me. And what they don't realize is you do take a beating for that from the other comics. Later, they're like, ah, really? Good friend you brought. That's good. <laughs> Not easily trained, too. <laughs> so it, that's funny. Wow, that is yeah. funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that I think that you get more respect from people that are in a place where they've kind of arrived, where they're really successful, if you're not addressing that success. You know, you're like, you're just a regular person. No, right. Like, everybody's just the same. I mean, right, that's right. really the way that I approach life anyway. Right. You know, like, it, it doesn't matter to me if somebody's like, you know, king of the world. Right, 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 right. You know, right. I'm like, hey, want to say But when you're in the business, you really can't act that way. Yeah. You know, you really can't. So what's the first joke you remember hearing? At what point did you hear something where you got that it was a joke? When I was a kid, I loved, loved sitcoms. So... I guess just watching, I kind of knew, like, I, I mean, I remember watching the monkeys and thinking, well, nobody, <laughs> nobody really lives like this. Yeah, but that was fun. You know, yeah. <laughs> Definitely Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny was probably, without realizing it, the subconscious of, that's a joke. Like, even a lot of the jokes that they did were pretty political for the 40s. And even though you go, I didn't get it because it's 1978 or whatever year, <laughs> but I kind of know that was a joke and it was meant for, you know, uh, so Bugs Bunny to me was a big one. When I was in high school, I was a junior and my brother was a, was a senior at the same school. And my brother went to the prom with the guy who's now my best friend. They were really close. And they went to the prom with their dates. And after the prom, they went to the city and they went to the comic strip. This is 1980. 
and they come home and I'm like, how was the prom? And they're like, forget the prom. There was this comic at the comic strip. This kid, he's our age. He's our age. He's so funny. He's good. And it was Eddie Murphy. Oh my God, really? Yeah. Wow. And that's all they could talk about was you have to wait. He's going to be on Saturday Night Live this fall. We got to wow. watch this kid. He's so funny. He's our age. He's our age. That's all they kept saying. I remember he was on Senate Live and he did nothing for like the first year. They kept him really at bay. But that was one of the reasons we, we were like, we got to watch this guy from the comic strip. Like that was a big deal. And then I remember everybody within a year had his album. And I remember uh, Richard Pryor wanted. I was about 16 when I heard that. And I was like, this is devastating. This guy is ridiculous, you know? And, and that was huge to me, Richard Pryor. When I was a little kid and we stayed at my grandmother's, she would let us stay up late. And my brother could never stay awake, but I could to this day, which I think helps being a comic because you're, you're definitely, I'm definitely a night person, I always was. And I remember watching Carson with her and seeing Don Rickles and, you know, all the old Joan Rivers or who, and just being like, wow, you know, but I, I never once went, I want to do that. But I loved it. You know, I loved everything about it. I loved all the off the cuff stuff more. So, which is funny because when I got older, um, I'm jumping ahead, but when I got older, I started my own variety show in the city. Really? Because I, I have a degree in theater and I have a singing background. And, and I said, I know all these really great singers and actors. I know all these really great musicians. I know all these really great comedians. How do I put them together? And I came up with the Richie Byrne show. And I got a bunch of comics and we wrote sketches. And what we would do is they would write the sketches somewhere in there. My musical director and I, we would take it and make it musical. We'd find a sketch that we could make musical. And then my, the whole cast, the end, the end sketch was this big musical sketch. And people go, where'd you come up with that, man? Where'd you think of that? And I'm like, Jackie Gleason, Sid Caesar, Cal Burnett. What are you kidding me? Wow. You know, when I was a kid, every Saturday, I never missed Mary Tyler Moore uh, show, uh, Bob Newhart, Cal Burnett. And then you had a half hour before Saturday Night Live. That was a big thing when I was a kid. Do you think you in any way watching that took some things in on a different level? Absolutely. I've never been really comfortable just doing stand-up. I've always wanted to do more. And I'm so impressed by guys who just, you know, stand up there and, and are so smart. I never considered myself that smart a comic. But uh, I have this other talent and I, I, I love to bring it in. And I think that old school, you know, the, the old Jackie Gleason shows, the Sid Caesar and all, to me that would have been perfect. I love that. And I love all about that, the music and combining it. You never thought about working with somebody? And you know what the know, problem is with that? You don't have a car? No. <laughs> Money. They're not going to pay double because it's two people on the show. Yeah. It's why you don't see duos anymore. There's a couple of guys out there who do, you know, a, a double act, but it's very rare. No, I've never, that's a, I never thought about it. I mean, I thought, that's not true. I mean, I thought about it and I actually do it in my show and, you know, and the Richie Burns show, we're doing big sketches. We have six, seven, eight people in a sketch and, you know, it's kind of cool. I miss doing it. It's a lot of work. That's the problem. It's yeah. so much work. And when did you stop doing it? I did one about two years ago at Gotham on 23rd Street, and I haven't done one since. I've tried. I wanted to do one in February and end of January this year. Part <laughs> of it is we're so busy right now with United yeah. We Laugh that it's hard for me to fit that in. Wow. You know? Now, you still write all your own stuff? And I haven't done this in a while, and I'd like to do it again. We'll do what's called a roundtable. A bunch of comics will get together. That sounds And go, I have this idea. And, <laughs> yeah. 
and you start to do it and someone goes, you know what, say this or do that. Or other times you're on stage and a comic goes, you know that joke, add this. And you go, wow, how'd I miss that? You know, that's, I love doing that. I love yeah. giving comics that. Like, hey man, you should be saying this there. And, and, it, and there's, my favorite thing in comedy is I'll work with someone, I'll give them a line and then I'll forget about it. Yeah. And then like eight months later, you're working with them and there's the line. And you're like, that's and, hilarious. And, and I always go, I wrote that. Oh, I, wrote, you know. I Like some comics won't do, I am totally like, no, I wrote. My friend Mike Keegan, he's a younger comic and I'll sit in the back of the room with the other comics going, that's mine, that's me. I gave him that. Like every time. He's like, you know, I wrote a little bit of this. So if you don't know when, if something's funny until you get out in front of a crowd, what are the odds that you're going to get up in front of a crowd and it's not going to go over? And if it doesn't, like, what do you do? Well, for me at this point, it's not a big deal because I have so much material from all the years that you just move on. Well, you acknowledge it. Wow, you guys really hated that one, huh? <laughs> well, that was new and apparently it's old now because I'm never doing it again. Or, but um, in the beginning, it's, I mean, I'm talking more from the beginning. The early days when you start. Now I have a sense. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I think yeah. at this point. And that's the thing. When you when you start, you're only doing five minutes. And you think that five minutes is the longest. Oh, my God, it seems so long. And now when someone goes, just do five, you're like, I, I can't do five? How can I do five? But uh, when you have a great night in the beginning and you kill, you're up all night. You can't sleep. It's all you're thinking about. It. And when you have a bad night, you're up all night, you can't sleep. It's all you think about. It's no different. To be honest, I missed that because now I'm jaded. Like I could come off a stage and someone go, wow, look at the crowd. And I'll go, wow, I didn't even notice. Really? Yeah, and that, wow. that's sad in some way. So ways. how do you step back and like reset that? Hit it's it. more about it's... control now. I know how to control an audience. And there are times where I know, man, I can hold the beat here and I'll hold it. And, you know, things like that. And that's fun. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. But as far as, you're never going to have that feeling of, oh my God. A couple of weeks ago, I did a show. It was a charity event. And oh my God, they just, they were not a good crowd. And I was headlining. That's the best thing is you're watching the other comics. So you know, okay. So I get up and like 20 minutes, at 10 minutes in, I go, you know, that was a really great joke. <laughs> and I go, and you guys did not give it what it deserved. So I'm just letting you know right now that that joke gets a lot more laughs than you just gave it. So that's on you. I'm just, so then another 10 minutes goes by and I go, you know, you know how like an audience, you can have a bad night in comedy and the guy will go, you know, it's not you, it's me. No, it's you. It's definitely you. I do about 400, 500 shows a year. Most of them kill. Maybe one or two don't. Guess what? You're the one or two. So who's to blame here? <laughs> And my manager was there and he was, he's like, that was, and even the audience going, that's good. People were coming up to me after the show going, we suck, we suck. But that's also then like a real connection with them. Mm -hmm. And if there's a way that you can get them on board with you, right. there's something about doing that that then makes them like, you just are great and we're just right with you right, and right. you're the best. Whatever like, you say now. The family, yeah. the connection, you know? Yeah. So when you do something like that, yeah. where you're talking to them and right, not right. just like performing over their heads, like that's got to be, they probably all left there and went, he's the best we've ever seen. Right. But, you know, I have a bit that I don't do a lot because I, I try and keep him alive. My dad died four years ago. And I have two bits. One of them was the week after he died, 
it was my first time back on stage. I was telling the comic I was working with, they said, this is my first time on stage since my father died. And I started telling him a story about something that happened the day he died. For whatever reason, I was going on before him. Usually I'm always last, and I was so happy not to be last. We were, you know, we're mutual co-headlining type things. So whatever it was, they booked me to go on before him, and I was so happy because I didn't know, I wasn't very stable. You know, it's a week after my dad died. I wasn't, the last thing I needed was to have to follow him. This guy's a really strong act, Mike Landry. And um, he, so I told him the story about my dad, and he goes, uh, you know, when you're ready, you gotta bring that to the stage. And I was like, wow, like that would have never dawned on me. He goes, you when you're ready. So I got up that night and I did, I'm doing my act and it was going okay. You know? And at one point I told him, I go, my dad died last week. And I told the story and the place went crazy. And as I was coming off, he goes, I didn't mean tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had comics when I'm doing the show. When I'm doing a show, like, and I'm not the last comic, I've had comics go, you're not doing that dead dad thing, are you? I'm not following the dead dad thing. But the point is, is when I tell those stories, because I do bits about my dad and I, my parents, and then I'll say, you know, I've been lying to you people. Uh, my dad died. And you feel, first they laugh. Of course. And, they, and then they realize I'm, I'm serious. And you feel the air. You feel the air completely drop. The bubble burst. They're like, Oh, where's he going? And then I tell these two or three stories and I feel them slowly come back. And it's such an interesting feel. You know, I've never felt anything like that before or since. And then at the end of the show, I realized whenever I talk about my dad, I have to stay because everybody has a story. Everybody has to come up to me and go, you know, my mom died. You know what happened? But, wow. And it's the weirdest thing. It's so cool. And I didn't realize I didn't do it for that reason. I Never leave. I, I always know if you're going to tell a story about your dad dying, you got to stay because people want to come up and they want to, you know, my, my parents were married 60 years and my dad died. Here's what happened at the wake. Here's what, it's just so funny. And I think that's a cool thing, but that's the whole point is, it's the whole point I'm trying to make with United We Laugh is, yeah, we're all, you know, we can talk about anything. You know, the bottom line is, for me, my comedy is about you relating to what I'm saying. And I think that that's so important that everybody needs to learn how to relate. And I think in some ways, a comedy's gotten angry and divided in a lot of ways that way. It bothers me because that's not what, that's not my goal. I always tell young comics too, I go, don't try and be somebody you admire. It doesn't mean you can't admire them, but it doesn't mean you can be them. Be yourself. And even if your brand of comedy isn't what they're looking for right now, it's going to come around. But you got to stay true to you, yourself in comedy. And it took me years to realize that. I mean, I spent the 90s trying to be like other comics because that's what I thought the, the agents wanted. It's what I thought the uh, TV people wanted. And then I realized, I got to be myself. I got to do what I do. There'll be more with Richie. He's got great stories about his gig working for Dr. Oz. Yeah, that guy, Dr. Oz. And his new and perhaps most important project yet, United We Laugh, a very funny evening with a very real goal. You're not going to want to miss out on part two or three of Me with Comedian Richie Byrne, so feel free to subscribe to the It's Me, Cindy podcast. Always looking to make life better, easier, and more fun.